everyone. This is Shannon Waller here, and welcome to this Team Success Podcast. In this episode, I'm going to talk about a book that has completely inspired me and elevated my thinking about leadership, about relationships, about the environment that we create for our teams, and I am very excited to share it with you. The book that I'm talking about is Leaders Eat Last by Simon Sinek. Now, you may be familiar with Simon because he did the fabulous TED Talk and wrote the great book called Start With Why which if you've not read that, needs to become one of your business classics because it is absolutely genius. And he's very adept at getting his point across in very succinct ways and then goes on to share great, great stories and memorable, sticky ways of remembering those key points. So I'm a huge fan of his and I cannot tell you how much of a huge fan I am of this book. I am so excited. Part of the reason why I'm excited is because it really validates a lot of what we've been talking about in the Team Success podcast about how to create a great team, how to attract a great team, how to lead a great team, how to create an environment that really supports powerful, effective teamwork. Obviously, this started out with the entrepreneurial attitudes that team members need to have. But again, there are ways that Simon talks about it in Leaders Eat Last that I think you need to know about and I really want to share with you today. Like other authors that I have actually had the fortune of talking to, like Dave Logan, who wrote Tribal Leadership, and Jack Mitchell, who wrote Hug Your People, Hug Your Customers, Simon really drills down on the key aspects of the relationship between leaders and their teams. And what I really love about how he talks about it, he adds new knowledge based on our biology, based on our own chemicals, of why it's so important to have a healthy, respectful environment for your teams to bring out the best in them, as opposed to one that is strictly about one-upmanship and competition. And he pulls in some great examples, for instance, GE and Costco. So GE would be a great example. If you remember the stories about Neutron Jack, who fired the lowest 10% of managers every year, compared to Costco, who pays far above minimum wage in the warehouses and has overall a much higher return on stock prices than GE. So he really uses these two companies to contrast exactly how you can run companies differently. One looks a little bit more dramatic, one looks a lot calmer, but the one that actually really fosters teamwork and trust and security, we're gonna talk about the chemicals that trigger when we do that, is the one that actually had the greatest financial results. A lot of us are very well aware of the environment that we prefer to work in, one where trust, is available, people are empathetic to one another, we work together and we collaborate, but we haven't always been able to put a financial number to that. And one of the things, again, I really appreciate about this book is it puts the financial realities next to it and really matches them up. That says this is in fact a better way of operating, not just a nice way to operate. One of the premises of the book, and he spends about 80% of the book on this, is really looking at how human beings are structured. And he says, you know, our biology hasn't changed, but our environment has. And there are four different types of chemicals he talks about that operate in every single human being. So the first two that you're probably very familiar with are endorphins and dopamine. Now, endorphins are really the pain-masking chemical in your body. You've heard of runner's high? That's exactly what endorphins do. So they allow us to withstand periods of difficulty, to get through a tough experience, to overcome the pain so we can go ahead and keep working. Now, dopamine is really the goal achievement chemical. So in, I guess, in tribal days, this would be when we found food and we got to eat it. There'd be a little rush of dopamine that goes through our system saying, yes, this is something that's good to do. And for a lot of us today, it has to do with when we get to check off something on our list. If you've ever been someone who's added something to your list 
after you've done it just to make yourself feel good. That's exactly what you're doing. You're triggering a dopamine response. So these two chemicals are very much the ones that are about you. He calls them the selfish chemicals. I think they're fairly essential and necessary. But those without the other two chemicals really can operate to the detriment of someone. The other two chemicals that need to get triggered for really a healthy working society, and not just an individual, but the whole team, are serotonin and oxytocin. These are the trust chemicals. These are the bonding chemicals. You've heard of oxytocin. It's what creates the bond between mothers and their babies. Anytime we go through a tough situation with people and we really bond because we've withstood that difficulty together, that's what gets triggered. And you know it. There's a certain feeling that happens when you really are connected with someone else. And fostering those connections is what he talks about is absolutely critical. We don't actually thrive in environments that are strictly based on dopamine and endorphins. In those environments, we're in competition against one another. That's when salespeople have negative competition. Sometimes competition can spur them to greater heights. We certainly have experienced that in our company. But ultimately, we all have to also appreciate that we are in it together, that it's the combination of everyone's results that matter, not just mine, not just yours, but everyone's. I think about this when I think of basketball teams. You look at the star performers, Michael Jordan's the one I grew up with, and he can score a huge number of points in a game, 54 points, for example. But guess what? 54 points does not win a basketball game. You need everyone's results to actually pull it off. So being a fabulous performer on a fabulous team is actually the way to get those results. One of the other key facets of the book that I found really, really useful is to really focus on developing as a leader your circle of safety. These are the people with whom you experience trust. These are the people that you can really count on. These are the people that you are empathetic to. And part of the reason why I loved reading about this is because that's my experience of working with our team at Strategic Coach. There is an incredible sense of circle of safety. I know I can count on people. They know that they can count on me. We care about one another. We care about what we're doing in the world. And for us, this is such a powerful environment. Now, it's also not a right fit for everybody, and certainly not everybody is a right fit for us. So when people change careers to decide that they need to go somewhere else or that we're not a right fit for them, I'm like, great, this is good. I'm not unhappy with that decision. Go find your tribe. Go find the place where you are a right fit. Because trust is so essential. Patrick Lencioni talks about this in The Five Dysfunctions of a Team, is that trust is essential if you're going to function well with other people on your team. And it's something that I think is underappreciated. And I love the fact that Simon puts in this chemical basis for it because he really describes how human beings operate and why it's important. And again, I love this addition to my current level of knowledge. So empathy is really important, as I've talked about. Respect is obviously really important. And the other thing that's important is to really recognize what causes stress. And what causes stress for everyone, Gallup's done great research on this as well, is lack of control. If you know that you have no control over the work that's coming at you or your ability to influence it or to make it a better situation, that is incredibly stressful. It leads to emotional strain, again, because you have no impact on anything. It's kind of fun. I'll talk to my family members, one in particular, who happens to be my mom, and she'll think, oh, Shannon, you're so busy. Aren't you stressed? 
I'm like, well, that's actually not how I experience stress. And it's not. I can be super, super busy. There's no question about that. But I don't interpret that as stress. I interpret that as being really busy. But guess what? I have complete control over what I'm doing. I have a fabulous team with whom I work who will only take what I do and make it better. I have every aspect of lack of stress. Certainly, I need to produce really, really good work and make sure I deliver my part of it. But that's the only stressful part. I just have to be at my best in order to be able to do that. But guess who's in control of that? Me. So it's not like someone else is making me do this. I am the opposite of a victim. I am actually the creator. So that's a very empowering situation to me, not a stressful situation. So we have these conversations occasionally, which is kind of fun. So all of this really is to say that the environment that you create for people through empathy, through respect, through giving people control over the work that they're doing really affects how they function every single day. If we work with people that we can't trust, that increases our stress hormones, that increases cortisol. You may have heard of cortisol if you've done any health reading whatsoever. It's actually the chemical that they blame on people putting weight on because it's how we respond in periods of physical or emotional stress. And it's very damaging to the heart. It can be very damaging to your blood vessels. So in environments that actually raise cortisol, they're less healthy. They're also less creative. People who are really stressed do not tend to be the most creative. They're not connecting and bouncing ideas off with other people, so there's less cooperation. There's also less collaboration. So what kind of environment are you creating? What are you fostering? Do you have all the right people around you to actually make this happen? That's something that I think about a lot. The last main point from the book is really how important it is to become a long-term leader. If we're all focused on our results this week, this month, or this quarter, that really facilitates behavior that only triggers those really short-term chemicals, the endorphins and the dopamine. Those are more the ego-based chemicals. That's when you check something off your list or you beat someone else in a competition, a sales competition, for example. But when we become long-term leaders, which I love, a lot of entrepreneurs are long-term leaders. You are in it for the long haul. You are building something to last. So this really is very akin to the thinking of a lot of the people that Strategic Coach works with, is when you're focused on the long haul, you can afford to do things differently. You can afford to not just pay attention to quarterly results, but take a look at the long haul in terms of what you are building. And that means, are you building the trust of your team? Are you building the trust of your clientele? Are you building the trust of your vendors? Do you keep attracting the right people to come and work with you? And you can afford to make investments and put in place capabilities because you know you have the long term to have them pay off. It's interesting to me that when I do some other business reading that the term for most CEOs is three to five years. That's not a long time. One of the things I really appreciate is that I've been working with Strategic Coach since 1991. That's a long time. And I have this long-term perspective. We just celebrated our 25-year anniversary, and we are really looking forward to the next 25 years. That is a very, very different way of thinking as opposed to a quarterly framework. And there's something really powerful about thinking, okay, what kind of capabilities do we want to have 25 years from now? And the leadership that that's going to require is very different than if you're just trying to get results for the next week or the next quarter. 
So a lot of you who are listening, I know, are in the private industry as opposed to public. And I think there's a real advantage there is that you're not subject to those quarterly reports. You're not having stock analysts call you to say, okay, what's going to happen in this 90 days? And so we can afford to build in place those longer-term capabilities to really look at taking our time to hire the right people to make sure that they're going to be the ones that actually help build your company for the long term. And if some people exit on your journey, that's okay too. You can trust that their long-term future is not a right fit with yours. And if you are interested in really being a fabulous leader, then you are going to put your own short-term needs last and the needs of your company and your team first. So again, this is just a brief overview of a fabulous book that will take you far longer to read than it is for me to talk about it. But I hope this encourages you to jump in, read the book. He's got fabulous examples. Make sure you run out and order it or buy it as soon as possible because it will definitely add to your thinking about how to maximize your team success. So thank you very much for listening. Any questions or comments, email us at questionsastrategiccoach.com. And as always, here's to your team success. everyone. If you like what you heard today, make sure you subscribe to the Team Success Podcast on iTunes. And if you're interested in learning more about the Strategic Coach Program for Entrepreneurs, absolutely go and visit strategiccoach.com or check out our channel on YouTube. For free downloads and more team success strategies, also go to teamsuccesshandbook.com. Mm-hmm.